This week on the Physio Foundations podcast, we've got part two of a discussion with physiotherapist and physiotherapy educator, Pat Valance. And in this episode, Pat and I, we're going to face some of our critics head on and answer their perennial question, why don't you guys teach them this stuff at university? Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week. It's a podcast where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. And once again, I'm joined by Monash University Physiotherapy Department, physiotherapist and PhD student and educator, Pat Valance. Pat, thanks for joining me again. Welcome to Physio Foundations Round 2. Thanks, Luke. I'm, I'm both shocked and pleasantly surprised to get the, the call up for a second round, so I'll try did, to make the most of it. Did you listen to your episode? What do you think? Oh, I can't, uh, I can't no, listen no. to that. The, the wise um, Peter Maliaris has told me, don't listen back to your own um, recordings, podcasts and so on. You, you'll only frighten yourself. So I try to avoid it where possible. I listen to them for quality control. That's, that's important. I've got rid of a lot of filler words from listening to myself, you know? Well, yeah, maybe um, I need to find uh, a balance. Now you don't have a lot of filler words. You, you're, that's the last episode, folks. If you haven't heard, I said folks for the first time on a podcast. They say that all the time. Hey, folks. <laughs> Uh, everyone, if you haven't heard the last episode with Pat, it's a ripper. It's a really good, really, really nice summary um, of Pat's thoughts of here's a foundation of him developing himself to the point where he was confident and had the skills and knowledge to as to start off his journey of physio education and he's finishing his PhD and who knows what other education qualifications Pat will get in the future. But it's sort of an origin foundation story. So we finished that episode with about 10 or 15 minutes of free talk, you and I, talking about this episode, talking about why don't you guys teach them this stuff in university? A question that you'll see on social media, good friends and colleagues who are clinical educators who work with our students will ask this question and we could ignore it and pretend we're not having this conversation or we could talk about it up front because there's some really important points that we could no responses. It's not a debate or an argument where someone wins. I think you said it best last week, it, it provide our perspectives and perhaps open a, you said a can of worms, but you know, start a conversation about this topic because there's some points here that are worth considering. So first of all, before we start, I'm going to do the call to action stuff, the call to action stuff at the beginning. So if you haven't seen the Periton Physio YouTube channel, put that in Google, Periton Physio YouTube, get on there and you can see the video versions of these podcasts and little snippets and things will be uh, posting up there over time. And this is all free and I hope you're finding it valuable. But the only thing we ask you to do is just to help us out by sharing it and liking it and subscribing, following and all of that. Only for the reason, not for our egos, only for the reason that that helps other people see it in their feeds. And we can, if, if other people find this valuable as well, we can help them. So go ahead and do that and sort of post an episode on social media and you'll make my day. So Pat, why are we talking about this topic? What are your thoughts on this episode? So we've sat there before, we've gone to air here, we've planned out the episode. What do you think we're really trying to do here talking about this topic? Yeah, I think it'd be good, good to give that, that big overview, that context of of the the why behind this episode and that is um yeah we as you said earlier we often see um you know posts and social media and discussions um taking place where um you know, with with good reasoning clinicians are asking why something might not be covered in the physiotherapy course mm. we're in a new unique position where we're seeing what is happening 
you know, at the coal face and um, we can provide our perspective for what is realistic, what we're aiming to do, you know, what we'd love to do, where we'd you know, love to uh, have these students spending their time, but what is realistic within the the, the confines of the time they have availability and the, the motivations they have and so on and so forth. So I think that's that's what yeah. we're doing today. Yeah, well said. So we really want to talk about the um you know what what's actually feasible and realistic within the time frame, but also we also want to touch on the competing demands that are placed on students these days, which is very different from even when you went through and definitely mm-hmm. when I went through our undergrad. And we want to really meet in the middle and have greater understanding between students, educators, and the people in the middle. So clinical educators, clinicians who are working with our students and everyone who's interested in physio education. So um, let's start with what you and I think the aims of, of an entry to practice physiotherapy course are before we dive into what's taught and why things aren't taught. We really need to talk about the aims, what you're actually trying to achieve when you enroll as a student in a physio course and what educators are trying to achieve and people who design curriculum and courses and and um, and then third parties, people who will um, look at competency thresholds and the standards that are needed to be a physio in a in a country, for example, everyone. So what are we trying to achieve, do you think? Yeah, uh, I think if you, again, take that step back, I'm, I'm big about the big big picture um, and and you look at the students coming in. So you look at when they're starting. So you, you've got this fresh crop of um, potentially pimply but um, fresh-faced um, students that have some of them absolutely no idea about the profession. Yeah, at the start of the semester, first year, you say who he is, interacted with a physio before and and a, a large majority put their hands up but some don't so you've got these students that aren't you know they're not overly aware of the the scope of work of a physio and they don't have that context for the big big picture so um with these students we're trying to take them through to a point where at the end of the course at a minimum they're competent and if you look at what competency is they're going to be safe and hopefully they're going to be professional that should be our minimum um, and and for some that is all we can achieve with them in the time we have available available to us to to teach them. If you think about, the, and I might be jumping ahead a little bit, I promised I wouldn't do this, but if you think about the requirements to get them to that standard of being safe and professional, you know, if you think about the scope of work of a physio and the different fields that these um, students, when they graduate, they might be exposed to, uh, there's a lot of ground to cover there for them to be safe. Mm. And it is, um, yeah, as as professionals, uh, that is the, our first port of call. We need to be safe, so we're we're upskilling them as much as we can in that area. But there are yeah. other uh, definitely, and you you might be able to speak better to this the, the hidden curriculum, Luke. But mm. there are other areas that they need to be upskilled as well, just so that they can engage in the content and learn how to learn. So and maybe novice I'll- learner leaving school, for example, mm. with the aim of after four years entering the workforce as an autonomous, skillful, knowledgeable clinician. It's a huge effort. It's a huge ask. And that's why it's a really, all the call, any physiotherapy course is a very demanding, often full-time um, uh, endeavor. And it, it has to be taken on as a, you know, almost like entering the military in, in some way or, or, or joining a really demanding profession or a job. It itself is, is a profession from day one. Um, and you said safe and professional, and I'd add effective in there. 
Mm, to yep. be effective over a really broad range of competencies. And we're not just talking about musculoskeletal physio that you and I teach into, you know, cardiothoracic, neurological, um, in many other geriatrics, women's health, men's health, any other electives you can think of, and pediatrics I've mentioned. And so there's, there's so much that you need to do and cover, um, such a broad scope in such a short amount of time, which goes some d- um, distance to answering the question, that I saw on social media once, which was why don't they teach them at least two years of strength and conditioning as a genuine, uh, I don't think it was a question. I think it was a should statement that I read and, um, had to get once again, close the app and go for a walk and come back again. Um, why don't we teach uh, you're, you've been teaching with us now for two or three years. You've been really in the center of a lot of the teaching at Monash Uni Physio. Why don't we spend two years, on strength and conditioning. Yeah, I think then you're going to what what goes out in place of the strength and conditioning. Now they're going to understand the the concepts that underpin the strength and conditioning. If you're sacrificing then your anatomy or your physiology or um, who knows what else in that course in our, in our Musk um, uh, topics units uh, that are early on in the course. You know, we week one you're starting off with movements you know what is flexion what is extension it's there's so much that needs to be learned before you could really start to introduce that mm. saying that however we i think we do a, a good job of starting them uh on learning uh, in learning about strength and conditioning in that we do introduce some um components of strength and conditioning it's you know a large focus of our interventions that we teach in the, the musk units um, so a part of maybe that comment is coming from just what the, the clinicians are, are seeing from particular students as they graduate and so on and so forth. Mm. Maybe also uh, maybe this particular individual you know, might have graduated some time ago and might not be up to speed potentially with what's happening, which is why I think this is fantastic, the, the work you're doing, Luke, where you're really trying to pull back that curtain to be as transparent about what we're teaching as is possible to you know, provide that that engagement and um, you know, share that knowledge of we're doing this, what do you think we could do better, and um, you know, sharing hopefully through this episode what is feasible as well. Mm. And we do it in a, a two-way way so we don't have to be just making statements and saying this is what you should be doing. We can ask questions as well. And it doesn't, doesn't mean we don't evolve with practice trends or with the evidence. It's just that it's, it, you mentioned feasibility and the broad scope of a course. So there, and what goes in, when something goes in, it means something else has to come out again. And, yeah, and hopefully there's what you're the very nice answer you gave just then could provide some insight into why there isn't two years of strength and conditioning in an undergraduate course, but at the same time, don't discount um, the, Perhaps it's not two solid years of strength and conditioning, but you've got two um, in our four-year undergraduate course, you know, so um, four semesters, so two years before students will, or two and a half years before students go on placement. And much of that is punctuated by the application of exercise principles, which include strength and conditioning principles within that. Um, so there's a lot of learning by stealth that goes on. You may not be doing a strength and conditioning course, but you've got people like yourself Dawson Kidgel inputting into the courses and you've got good, you know, experts you know, in, um, in, in these areas, in lots of physiotherapy courses and, and that's layered into 
all the other aspects of teaching that we do. So personal, professional development, developing reflection skills. Um, you mentioned anatomy, physiology, research skills, evidence-based practice, and across all different regions and systems of the body. And that's why the students are so busy. And if you put something in, you need to take something out. So there's a value um, judgment that has to happen there and a balance that goes on. That's a, that's a good point there, Luke, the fact that, yeah, if you put something in, you have to take something out. Why, why couldn't you add on top of what we've got already? Yeah, is there, we're considering the demands that are placed on a, a student there. Um, already, I think we're, it'd be one of the busier courses mm. by, by stretch, one of the, absolutely one of the busiest courses. Um, and particularly you know, in this day and age, often students do have you know, part-time work to support themselves. And if they're in a large centre, maybe they're living away from home. Um, yeah, it's going to be yeah, absolutely a, a trade-off there between surviving and learning. Um, and, and we know when it comes down to it, they're going to take the option of surviving first. Mm. As we well, all- let's, let's talk about the competing demands that are on students these days that are different to what was on us. So what do students have to contend with that we back in the day didn't have to contend with? So some, some things that pop, um, come to mind include the rising cost of education and the need to support themselves with, with work. Um, the distractions you and I mentioned in the last episode, there's pervasive distractive devices and all the apps that are designed to um, put you into a rabbit hole for hours on end and, take away that processing and rendering time of your brain so you can't relax and can't sleep and wake up more stressed than when you went to bed. It's all, it's all set up to make money for a corporation. It's not made, made to um, help your brain relax, but that's how a lot of people spend their spare time. So there's distractions, competing demands financially and for time. What else from your perspective? And this is where we can ask students directly. And if you're a student, yeah. leave a comment. Well, a, a lot of the students also do have a, a life outside of learning as well. So, yeah, and, and yeah. I think that's an absolutely amazing thing. And, um, yeah, we've had some really good examples just from um, the cohort we we finished just teaching out for the year um, where, yeah, a lot of been engaged in lots of sporting and non-sporting type um, activities. And that's great. We want them to have that that life and, and get that that balance as best as possible. Um, and I think yeah, as we, yeah, as you just highlighted there with financial constraints as well, um, you know, heavy uni workload, we want them to have that, that balance. They're, they're going to burn out otherwise, but I think it's really, really healthy for them to have a balance and we encourage it. So, um, and I know that Absolutely. peers really enjoy hearing about each other's interests and sharing in their interests. So, um, that's important too. To have and that's that. something that we really had a hard time with. We being everyone during those COVID-19 pandemic related lockdowns where a lot of education went online and at the last minute emergency online um, delivery of content. It's, it's amazing how everyone rallied during that time though as well and the camaraderie when everyone came back together on campus, it was amazing. But, you know, there's um, certainly no matter whether there's a pandemic going or not, which there, there still is, but whether the lockdowns are happening or not, there's still lots of competing demands and lots of pressure on people. So I think that's a really good point about having that life outside of study. And that's really important to remember. So let's go back to our question. Let's, let's answer this question a bit more. We'll discuss it. Why don't you guys teach them this specific special interest area of mine 
um, for more or longer at university? What are some of the reasons do you think that, mm. um, that a student who meets a clinical educator on placement or a graduate who then works with a more experienced clinician in a practice, um, in a mentoring role or whoever it is, has given the impression that they weren't taught something in university, but potentially they weren't. Potentially this is a specific technique that you can't cover everything in the university course. And it's a postgraduate level skill, for example. It could be something that you were taught as well, have no recollection of, might have been taught after the physio ball in first year. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, could it could have been some potential the, the first six weeks when they're they're learning how to learn. Um, they're pivoting to that system, and um, yeah, it's a new. They've gone from the, the high school system potentially, potentially if they're new out of um, you know, if they've gone straight through without that gap year or without any other formal um, yep. graduate level learning, um, and all of a sudden they've got to pivot to this system where the emphasis is on the individual, the responsibility is on the individual to uptake information. It's a hard start, isn't it? Yeah. Going from the, the the style of learning in high school to a full-on, full-time course with adult learning, completely different focus. The focus in high school is all on performance and marks and everyone's in on it and you're trying to get your marks mm. and get your score. And then suddenly you're told in university to stop focusing on assessments and start focusing on the process and the learning because this is lifelong learning. And it's easy to say and it's hard for some students to do, but mm. Yeah, no, so that, that's probably one, one, one reason why. Another might be um, just where with what we've highlighted already about uh, we you know, focus on you know, competency. Um, it, it might be that the responsibility of learning certain skills is beyond the graduate course, so beyond say the bachelor of physio or so on and so forth. And instead, it's um, yeah, it, it's the responsibility falls on say the industry the, the workplace that the physio is working in upon graduation and as they start to find their own interest areas so it might be that it's not appropriate to spend two semesters on strength and conditioning where some therapists um, physiotherapists on graduation aren't going to be in a field where they're utilizing that we know mm. the scope of the physio is so broad instead it might be that um, you know if the, the physio finds a really good mentor on on graduating or as they're developing as a therapist they can then spend that time and um, yeah, seek out opportunity. It might be a master's or it might be um, yeah, something a little bit less formal, some uh, professional development in that area. So it, we know that learning isn't just within our course, but it extent, we should always be learning across our careers. So um, yeah, there's a shared responsibility in educating therapists uh, between the university, but also the industry as a whole. So, um, and I think the industry does that fantastically. Um, I know in all of my interactions in um, you know, being a clinician, um, I've had great mentors throughout and um, I've really enjoyed opportunity to learn from those mentors. Um, and I know as well as a profession, particularly here in, in Australia, um, I can't speak to the other other countries and I've only practiced in Australia, uh, but we've got a really good system here to upskill in other areas. Mm. So. Um, recognizing where these skill sets might be quite niche specialist um, and and knowing that there is capacity to continue learning in those areas and upskilling those areas beyond the course. This is why you're here, Pat. You've said it so well. You've really summarized that quite well, better than I ever could. So 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 there's some specific things that 
everyone would like to do more. Everyone would like to know their anatomy perfectly, their physiology, their, their musculoskeletal skills, know all of their cardiothoracic knowledge and, and skills and have their clinical communication to a high level and do all of that within a couple of years. But a point you made earlier was that it takes time to develop these skills. And so especially, so we've got a new grad, so when I say we, Susanna and I, Susanna behind the scenes and me hosting this podcast, I have a new grad series on here that I'm hoping to develop over the years. We're going to interview lots and lots of new grads um, like Jake, Jacob Waller and Brian Kim have been on there already. There'll be others around the corner getting their perspectives on what they're doing in the couple of years since graduating. And it's always exactly as you're saying before, it's always a, a process of going out there and learning and applying things. And you don't have to be at this top level of, of competency you know, a master's level of competency after learning things for a short amount of time as a novice learner. I think if we go back to your very first point, the aim of your physiotherapy course is to be safe, be professional, so you can become a professional and be competent so you can help people. And there's always something you can do for everybody. I remember seeing a, uh, as a physio, seeing an orthopedic surgeon and I think either they were on my list for tomorrow or I'd seen them once and I was seeing them again. And I, I mentioned it to Susanna. I said, orthopedic surgeon, <laughs> how can I help? So this person, I think it was for an orthopedic condition. And, and I did ask her, why are they, why do you reckon they're seeing me? It's a funny question. Don't they know more than me? She said, you can always help someone. No matter who that person is, you can always help them. And it's often just by listening. I thought that was really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we've, you know, you, what you've done really well there, Pat, is you've covered a lot of our brainstorming points that we, um, that we went through before the episode started. So, I mean, so, so to answer this question, it's a bit of a summary of what we were talking about before and what you've just said. Um, to answer the question, why don't you guys teach them this at university? Um, number one, often we do, but whether it's taught to a master level or not, and whether the learner is able to apply it um, as best as they will when they're an expert is another matter. And you mm. mentioned the small sample bias potentially of the individual students or the, the grads that you meet. And you, then you talked about the, the broad scope of the, an entry to practice course. And the, the fact is that you have to be spread thin really across lots of competencies and lots of knowledge and skills. And we talked about the you know, once you graduate, the learning doesn't stop and the role of postgrad learning and mentorship within the work environment. What about that one? Why don't we just focus on that one a little bit more? When you were a graduate, what mentorship did you seek to further develop and apply those foundational knowledge and skills that you learned in uni? What was the yeah. role of mentoring for you in getting from a, a student or graduate level to a more advanced level? I think a, a lot of it early on for myself was the the soundboarding, um, the checking my yeah. my my reasoning, um, yeah my my um, I guess my diagnosis, my my treatment, what how I was interpreting the the person in front of me, um, having someone more senior with more experience to to double check that. I think a lot a lot of um, a lot of the struggles of new graduate physiotherapists are that. Probably that lack of confidence in, as you said before, we can we can all everyone can help someone. Everyone mm. we can help everyone somehow, 
but um, we, we do second guess whether we are being effective or not. So it's good to have that, that sounding board um, there. So I think that's that's one part of it. But it is also fostering the, um, I guess, the, the enthusiasm, the interests, the motivations of new graduate uh, physiotherapists as well to chase opportunities for further education as well. So um, if, uh, say, for instance, you've got that new graduate physio who really enjoys their strength and conditioning, maybe it's the role of the, the mentor at the at the clinic or in the, the setting to say, well, there's this course coming up, why don't you sign up to that that PD for that weekend or so on and so forth to continue to develop that area. So, And they can have that special interest area in the clinic and be the person mm-hmm. that is known for this. Yeah, they area. can make them yeah. the champion of that area. Yeah, mm, And then that when that person becomes a champion of the area, go back and listen to this episode and try not to get on Twitter and um, tell everyone <laughs> in the world that they should be doing exactly what you're doing because the whole point is you've developed these skills over the years and it is a special interest area because I, I always feel for the pediatric physios um, who we work with and I know who get limited airtime during undergrad courses, typically we spend a lot of time on the foundational musk and cardio and neuro skills, but that's a really important area of physiotherapy and it's often under-resourced and um, wonder what they think of some of these comments. So there's always some area that you could pump more resources and time and, and, um, and more curriculum into, but we have to think about the entire scope, the entire profession. Mm. I would say it's, it's strength to the profession the width, the 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 broadness of scope that um, you know within which we can work, and and we, I think we really champion that as well in our um, at, at, down at Monash. Um, yeah, we try to highlight the different areas in which a, a physio could work. It is absolutely a challenge. One of the main challenges to um, educating these these fresh faced students to get to the end and and try to be effective across as many of those scopes of uh, across the scope of physiotherapy as is possible. When I speak to students in open days at the university, for example, or people who are interested in physio, that's the point I make. I say, do you realize though why it's so popular? And often the questions are, well, it's popular because people want to do it and there's not really a good answer for that. It's popular because when you finish, you have a job. Like we can talk about the, you know, the challenges that we face as a profession and, um, workforce changes and and potentially you may not have the job that you thought you were going to get as a new grad and there's, there's more jobs than ever in the profession and you have a job and you have a title you've got people know what you do but it's also what you said you can really go anywhere you can travel now borders are open again and you can you can work in all these different fields once you meet a physio who's 5, 10, 15, 20 years out of university, ask them how many different jobs they've had and how many different fields they've worked in. And it's really diverse just within one person's career. And that's not seen as a by an employer or by anyone really as a problem. It means you've diversified and you've got diverse skills. You've worked in you know, public, private, you might have worked with different populations and traveled around and just adds to your your wisdom and your experience. And then you can take that back into an education role or like you're doing in your PhD and apply those skills into research. That that would be my ad for why you should study physio. It's just look where you could go. It's real and it's really fun. It's a really good career. And then sometimes when we're in the trenches and we're all students and educators, we're all together 
you know, learning content, uh, sometimes it's easy to take our eye off why you're there. I could ask students, maybe if you're a student listening to this, have a think about this. Why are you studying physio? Why are you here? Because you should have a good answer to that. It doesn't have to be a um, solid answer yet. First year, you might you don't know yet. That's okay. But keep thinking about that. Keep thinking about why you're here. Because I've, I've got lots of positive answers to that question. It's, it's been an amazing career for me. I'm so glad I did it. It's all I wanted to do, actually. It's from about year nine of school onwards. I started doing physical education and learning about muscles and started taking myself on, out on long runs and you know, playing around with weights training, you know, that age when your body's developing and everything. And that's all I wanted to do. If you're in first or second year physio and you're not really sure why you're there, not, no judgment, just worth thinking about though. Keep going back to why you're here because I think there's a lot of good reasons to be doing it and it's worth it. You know, it's tough. You're studying and you've got competing demands on your time and finances and, and everything else. And you might think, oh, is it worth it? Yes, it is. But that's my opinion. Got very, got very reflective here, Pat. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't help, I can't help but agree with everything you're, you're saying there, Luke. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to throw a, a shout out to the amazing tutors we have within, well, throughout Monash University, but I'll speak to the, the Musk unit um, where they, they, they share their unique clinical experiences with the students. Mm. Um, and you see the enthusiasm of students after, after hearing about the, the range of um, workplaces that physios can, can you know, practice in. And um, I think that really helps to, to foster this or foster the enthusiasm of students to continue with their their learning. I know they're all in there and they're motivated, but yeah, it's it's really special to see um, students yeah, ask or, or realize, oh, that's an area of physio. I didn't know that we could work in that area. Yeah, it's really really nice to see mm-hmm. um, and to to build on that learning of you could work in this area or that area or that area. It's a the the degree that you know, gives you a, a thousand potential jobs. Mm. Well, the the main reason for going to university is to learn how to learn. And I know that's a bit too meta when you're there in the trenches and you're trying to learn a lot of content and pass exams. And it's very different from high school learning, for example, and university learning. But it's easy to say again, and it's it's something that you actually really have to experience. You can't just think about this, right? You have to actually experience it. But the whole point of going to university is to learn how to learn and then you can apply that across your life because what's the point in learning a bunch of content now that's correct now and it's the best attempt at summarizing the the evidence and the and the best practice uh, methods now if you're not able to reflect on what you're doing as you go along and and learn so you know, we've had a few episodes here on the podcast where I've talked to people about their methods for keeping themselves up to date and mentoring and lifelong learning that's been really good to Listeners can go back and find those. Um, what do you think? What, how do you? How does your attitude and personally, or for the students you've worked with, how does your attitude to learning and your engagement in the those foundational years of uni before you go on placements relate to success in the later years? Yeah, I think the um, what, what came to mind just as you're saying that was it's often the the um, the subjects that. Yeah, you, you look at before you start and you go, oh, yeah, bummer, that's not going to be too fun. It's not your your, your prac musk or, you know, the real hard hitters. Um, 
often it is more the, the personal skill development um, yeah, subjects that, that are actually more more important, you could argue, and that you, you are learning to, like you say, reflect. Um, if you can't take that step back, think, uh, absorb information, appraise it um, and, and make a decision based on it, you, you're probably not going to be a great therapist or a therapist that um, achieves best outcomes for for um, the patients. Well, that was so, one of your skills. That was your, that was your second practice mm, point was yeah. critical thinking in the last episode, wasn't it? And reflection. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, yeah, it, it, it's absolutely crucial that that is developed in that you might get through the course, you might score, you might have a mark of 50 or 60%, 70% even certain subjects. Um, and that's not uncommon. We're not, uh, we don't see students getting 100% across the board. Um, so you're not going to get all the information that we're trying to deliver. And we've already highlighted the fact that we try to pack in as much as we can just so these students can be safe, um, yeah, professional and, and effective. So if they're 50% there, if they know how to then go out and build on their knowledge through the skills we teach them, then they can make up that difference and go beyond that. So I couldn't agree more that that probably the most important thing they can come out of a course with is the capacity to continue learning and know how to learn. Mm. And then your other point was in the last episode was communication skills and interpersonal skills. So you may not, it's not about getting a hundred percent on assessments in university, like it is in school. Let's be honest. If you want to get into a, a, a course that has a really high entrance rank, that's the game and everyone's in on it. The teachers, the parents, the students, and you study for assessments, which is a bit sad, but it's necessary because of the way the system, the way it's set up. But then if you want to be successful in your life and university, in a way you have to let go of the personal attachment to grades and GPA, which just don't matter as much as you think they do. They really don't really come into anything. I, I guess I used my GPA when I applied for my PhD. I guess in some jobs they would look at that, but it's much more about the interview and the interpersonal skills. So the point you're making across these episodes is develop those skills outside of the, you know, the, so the critical thinking, interpersonal skills, communication skills to, you know, for want of a better word, to make up for any deficits in so you, you say you got through a test on something important and you got your 55%, P's get degrees, great, right, you've passed. Doesn't make, gonna make, mean that you're going to be an average clinician across your career if you have really strong reflective skills and critical thinking skills, good mentoring you, you know how to find information, you're willing to look things up. Um, you've got that conscientiousness. You want to be here. You want to be doing it. Uh, and and that's that's come up a lot interviewing experts on the podcast already across this year is people admitting and they're comfortable admitting it because they're now successful that I wasn't a good student in first year. Uh, you know, Suzanne has said it. I think a number of guests have said it. Oh yeah. I didn't I'll, know what was going on. Yeah. 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 And me too. Yeah. So there, so there you go. So it's, it's not about remembering a whole bunch of stuff and being a gifted test taker and getting a hundred percent. It's not about that. It's about safe, safety, competence, professionalism, and your attitude to, Lifelong learning, right? He nodded. Mm, yeah, if you're yes, listening yes. to the podcast, I'm, listening. I'm, I'm nodding profusely. Yeah, no. <laughs> if, um, if you're watching the YouTube version, <laughs> you, you saw the nodding. If it's the podcast watching, version, watching all that. Yeah, um, no, no, you're, you're spot on there. You're absolutely spot on. Um, it's 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 interesting as well in that 
So um, we cover certain, we have certain subjects at different time points of the course. So say it's it's Musk Physio, that's first year um, for what we're taking them through at least. They go out on placement primarily third and fourth year. They might say say you get through with a, a, you know, a pass in first year, they go out on a Musk placement. If they're good learners, if they know how to learn, they're going to build on that skill set right there and then, aren't they? So they're going to bridge a lot of that gap right there and then because they're going to be able to critically appraise what's happening around them and absorb the information that's most relevant. Um, so I think that's where, again, we'll, we'll champion that idea of um, learning how to learn as being a primary outcome or a, a key outcome of a, a course like physiotherapy. I have an episode mapped out called Focus on the Learning, and it is – the natural follow-up to this one. Do you want to be on that one as well? Yeah, sure. So I'm out. Currently we're mid-December, well, early December. And when this one goes to, it'll, this one will go to air in December. And that'll be one year of Physio Foundations. Oh, yeah. Very happy with that. I was, I was planning for weekly episodes. It didn't happen every week in the second half of the year. Um, that's fine. Yeah, and I'll bring my, my popper, my sparklers. That's celebrate. it? Yeah, yeah. We'll record part three with Pat Valance and we'll, we'll look at that. We'll look into focusing on the learning. So the topic there will be lifelong learning. So this is not for student, not just for students. This is for anybody who's interested in you know, further developing on top of their foundational skills and you know, personally, professionally developing themselves. So that that'd be fun. Absolutely. No, that'd be great to to join you for that. But thanks, Pat, for for the two episodes you've done here. I've I have listened back to them. It wasn't just listening to myself to make sure I'm not doing filler words. I just fast forward myself sometimes, yeah, but I want to listen to, I, I listen to it once when I edit it and trim it up and everything and publish it. And then I went in for a walk and I listened to it again. And the insights you had on there were really valuable. You're at an interesting stage because you've really just come into academia, into teaching, and you're still doing your PhD. You're still young and you, but you've got some wisdom in there. You've, you've been, you're really good at listening to people and thinking about why you're doing things. And you're really good at reflection. And of course, you've got those interpersonal skills. So your point there, for, for a student who say you've got a 60% on an assessment, you're, you're studying at the moment, or you think back to your first and second year and think, oh, I wasn't very strong at that. That's hit the nail on the head there. You, it's, a, it's a lifelong learning process. You, your, your next job is then to build on top of that foundation. Um, it's, I guess I'm talking about the a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. It's really inspires somebody. One personal example of that, um, in, when I was in my, my undergraduate, I think I got 50, 51, 52 in neuro, and I'm now doing my, my PhD in an area of brain science and you know, pain and motor neuroscience. So, um, and, and, I've always maintained that curiosity and I was, I was always very interested in, I just wasn't at that point in time, very good at, at learning it. And then mm. um, through the course, yeah, I had some, some great, um, great tutors, great educators that helped me learn how to learn. And I think that's, that's been a, a, a strength that you know, I'll continue to learn how to learn. I think we all continue to learn how to learn across our, our careers. We will work out better ways to absorb information and critically appraise. So um, it's definitely not a skill that's perfected, but um, I think just yeah, championing that that idea. I really like that, Luke. I'm I'm probably going to seal that and share that with students um, when we start off start of next uh, at the start of next year when we've got the, the fresh faced students in. Yeah, learn how to let's all learn how to learn. That's what it's all about, isn't it? 
Mm. Well, um, if you want to connect with us, everyone, you know how to do that. What's your Twitter handle, Pat? Yeah, so I'm uh, at Pat underscore Valance. Um, yeah, so good luck spelling balance. Everyone gets it wrong with a V, not a B. Not, I'm not, not Pat Balance. Not Pat That's Balance. Not He's got no balance. Yeah. <laughs> two L's. Like, like, Holly, like Holly Valance with two L's. Excellent. No I'm relation. At, <laughs> I'm at Luke Periton, and we've also got Susanna and I at Periton Physio. So you can DM us on, or connect with us. Obviously, share the episode if you found it helpful. Someone else will as well. And if you, that's basically the way you can support the podcast and what we're doing is just to take two seconds to recommend it to somebody or share it or post it online. So head over to the Periton Physio YouTube channel to see little snippets and highlights. I'm going to be building that over the next few years. So get on there and subscribe. It always looks bad when you've got a really good video and you've got 14 views. And But the 14 people who have viewed it have found it really valuable. So I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> to be honest, but get on there and just use it. If I'm going to bother putting it on there, go and use it. Yeah. Um, if you get one view, I'm sure it'd be worthwhile to you. It's it's not about the number of people. It's about the value that the people doing it are getting. Yeah. And um, so everyone here, and, and also some shout outs since we're chatting freely here. There's some amazing um, global listenership going on. You can see it on the, the uh, hosting app that I've got. And there's people all over the world. And maybe I'll get it out next time and read some countries out. But I think we've used up all our time here today, Pat. So anything final that you wanted to add on no, our topic? I guess the very final comment would be you've, you've suggested people get in contact. Um, I'd yeah, second that, absolutely get in contact. Part of the purpose of this episode was to open that discussion about what goes on in the physio course and and why we go about it a certain way. Yeah, If you're uh, on the other end, say you're a clinician and you're wanting to discuss that further, yeah, absolutely let's have let's chat further let's um you know, get some nice positive lines of communication going mm, let's not just throw darts at each other on social media by the way the public everyone sees all of that so we talked about professionalism today and there's a big subcurrent of discussion on social media with people being um upfront and pushing the envelope and fine but then it's got to be polite and professional and supportive and and um, nurturing, otherwise you're bullying each other. And there's a lot of that top, a lot of that type of conversation on there, push and shove. I don't think we're you and I are guilty of any of that. We put out positive content and just open the door for a conversation. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, Twitter can be a really one way. This is my opinion, and someone has to respond to that. I think really just have an ongoing conversation about what we're trying to achieve as a profession, which includes at the universities when we're educating. And includes the students. It'd be good to hear from some students. If you if you listen to any of this and you you want to add your perspectives, potentially, uh, especially about those competing demands on study and what it's actually like these days. Mm, absolutely. That'd every five yeah, every five years, or we'd say that everything's drastically changed from five years ago. You don't have to wait twenty years for things to be different. So, I mean, twenty years on for me, it's a completely different world. So, tell us what you think tell us what your perspectives are and and you can come on have a chat if you like as well the open door but let's leave it there pat yeah so everyone thanks very much for listening we'll see you next time and until next time this is pat valance and luke periton wishing you all the very best with your studying professional development and lifelong learning 